Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with today's guest. She's an award-winning social entrepreneur, innovator and global changemaker with a passion for creative ideas that deliver social impact. At the age of 25, she founded Frank Water, a pioneering social enterprise based on the concept of water for water, whereby the profits from bottled water sales go to clean water projects. Having raised over six million since starting up, Frank Water's impact reaches far and wide, whether it's raising awareness of global issues, social enterprise, and reducing the reliance and use of single-use plastic here in the UK, or changing the lives of thousands of people in India and Nepal. Today's guest and her company, Frank Water, have won numerous local, national, and international awards. In 2018, she was awarded an honorary doctorate from Bristol University, and most recently received an MBE in the 2019 New Year's Honours List. She is Katie Orcott. Hello. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, no worries. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, just before we get started, best websites to, for people to go to, got frankwater.com. Yep. Uh, and then to connect with you, would it be LinkedIn or Twitter? Is that the best place to um, Yeah, probably LinkedIn, actually. Twitter's more the, the company overall. So. Okay, so so contact you on LinkedIn and see what you're up to on frankwater.com. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for coming in. Um, you're, you're sort of pretty local then, originally. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, born and brought up in Maiden village, oh, yeah. um, just in the Malvern Hills. And yeah, I'm a... On a farm there with my siblings and cool. many animals. Yeah. yeah. Was it uh, uh, fun growing up on a farm? And... It was amazing. Yes. Yeah. A brilliant, amazing childhood. So. What sort of farm was it? Um, oh, mixed, really. Yeah. Of arable, um, sheep. My dad was a passionate sheep farmer. Right. Um, and, yeah, some woodland as well. So. Okay. Good, good Would you mix. get involved with lots of things as you were growing up, like yeah. looking after the animals? Yeah, had no and... choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a proper sort of, you know, mucking farm. So right, all of us, yeah, all of us got involved. And my one sister was always in charge of cooking, right. um, whilst the rest of us tended to sort of help outside on on the farm, especially lambing season this time yeah, of year. Yeah, always, yeah. always busy, hands up, uh, use backsides and things so like that. So sort of pro- <laughs> proper sort of family. Uh, family farm then rather than I mean was it was it quite big or was it kind of oh now you're asking I forget these things no I just mean like was there sort of lots of employees and things or was it kind of just you guys yeah it was really just my my dad and um and then we had a yeah a farm manager and a and maybe a a more of a student at the time actually Steve who's now farm manager himself but yeah it was uh, the three of them and then than us so it's pretty pretty hands-on yeah, yeah yeah excellent okay and uh how and, and i guess you went to school fairly locally and uh were you, were you kind of into school or was it like right i want to get home and do the things on the farm <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i remember school days as being good and all positive fun uh, i was at school in Malvern for a bit and then hereford for secondary but um yeah always always enjoyed coming home and always made sure we 
we got outside. That was something my parents always insisted. Right. Uh, if we watched more than half an hour of TV, my dad always threatened to cut the plug off and things like that, <laughs> which he actually did a few times. Did he? Yeah. Um, he hated the idea that we would we'd be sat inside when there was so much to do outside. Um, right, yeah, yeah. It's weird when your yeah. kids watch TV, isn't it? Because you sort of see them sitting there and you sort of almost can see their brains like just... I don't know. That's <laughs> yeah. the way I see it. Anyway, I'm a bit like that. I've threatened to throw the TV out and stuff, but I've never done it because ultimately it's good babysitter as well, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so it's good. Yeah, good purpose as well. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And your your dad took a bit of a career change. You were just saying to to start the farm. Yes. Yeah. So originally he was he was destined for for law to to follow in his father's footsteps and take on Harrison Clark. Um, which is a law firm in Hereford, but yeah, skipped out of, of university and uh, disowned by the family for a while, I think. Was it? Yeah. Uh, and uh, then, then you know, went, went to agricultural college and right. showed that that was, you know, farming was what he really wanted to do. He did not want to be sat, sat at a desk and right, okay. in front of computers and things for his life. So, Yeah, law is one of those uh, funny ones, isn't it, where it's kind of like passed down through the generations in a way, isn't it? Or, yeah, or it's kind of sometimes family. expected to be, yeah. Yeah, luckily his brother took up that, that uh, okay, yeah. so... So yeah, carried so. on, yeah, in the, in the family. But, yeah. but your dad went and did, did something that he was more passionate about. Yeah. And uh, ultimately successful, I guess, by the sounds of things. Yeah, they yeah. enjoyed it, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. excellent, okay. So... Um, yeah, so what's been your journey kind of after school and everything? Did you go off and do something else, get away from farming for a bit, or were you kind of wanting to go that route? Um, no, I no, not not specifically <laughs> farming. I was very creative, right. um, not academic at all, um, but loved sort of art, photography, and. Um, yeah, more more creative things, and and just being outside and being you know physical, um, loved PE and things like that as well, but making right, things. Yeah. So um, so I did. I went on to do arts after A levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a foundation course in Cheltenham. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a nice little tentative step away from the <laughs> countryside into a town. Yeah. Um, and then. Actually, while I was there, so most of my friends from school ended up taking gap years and you right. know, traveling around the world and things. And I was there in Cheltenham having an amazing time. It was absolutely brilliant. But um, but still kind of receiving all those messages from, from <laughs> friends and hearing them when they came back, you know, the, how, where they'd been and all the things they'd done. And I'd be like, oh, gosh, I've only gone like, you know, 30 miles away from home. <laughs> um, and, and as it got towards the summer, the summer term of that so it's just a one-year foundation course yeah. before I started university and I just thought I've just got to go away this summer I've got, right, to go, okay. I've got to go and see something because yeah sort of suddenly felt a bit um a bit of a country bumpkin still yeah. so um yeah saw some some flyers that were about kind of um teaching abroad and just thought, oh you know I can't really imagine just traveling for the sake of traveling mm-hmm. um if I'm gonna go away and I uh, spend you know a decent amount of time abroad I want to actually do something with it yeah right so um so yeah my friend and I um who also did the foundation course with me um we decided we would go to India and teach there most of mm-hmm. my friends have gone been to African countries mm-hmm. um so didn't know anything about it as a country <laughs> and just thought oh it sounds really good and you know quite creative love textiles and print and stuff just thought, yeah. oh yeah in India sounds like it'll suit me so 
Um, yeah, went to India. Um, so I was 19. Um, arrived there thinking we were going to be based in Delhi, uh, in, in, the, in the city, um, teaching there. And then mm. the first night, the, the um, professor said, right, a few of you actually are going up further up north. And uh, and they called my name out, but not my friends. <laughs> oh, like, really? No, this is this wasn't meant to happen. That wasn't part of the plan. Um, so so yeah, Amy Amy ended up staying in Delhi, and, and I got sent um, up to Jammu in, in Kashmir. Right. Okay. And actually, when the professor said, "Right, yes," and you're all going to Kashmir, there was this kind of like gasp. <laughs> Everyone in the room went. <gasps> there were about fifteen or sixteen of us in total, and um, and I was like. What's the matter with Kashmir? I mean, I'm upset that I'm leaving my friends, but, yeah, yeah. but it, I had no kind of understanding of, you know, why that was a little bit risky. Um, I remember going back to, back to my bed, which was on the floor in this professor's house and getting my Lonely Planet out, my Lonely Planet guides and flicking to the, to the Kashmir uh, chapter and uh, there was like two pages right <laughs> it's like massive and even you know Jimmy and Kashmir as a as a state is it's a massive state yeah um and uh, yeah and basically two pages and it just said um government advice is not to travel to this region oh really I was like, oh okay maybe that, maybe that's why everybody reacted in that way um and so yeah obviously that evening we all kind of got together and and they were like oh my god you know it's it's pretty dangerous up there and uh, started to look into, you know, the background behind it and yeah. independ- you know, Indian independence, um, a separation. And uh, yeah, I thought, well, you know, maybe it's quite good that I don't know too much about it. I just just go and <laughs> live it and, and see it for myself. Um, so that was a that was a bit of a shock. I mean, India as a whole yeah. is, a, is a shock um, if you travel yeah. there uh, and you're, you're in real India, if you're not staying in five-star hotels and things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we set out off on this journey um, by bus, um, waiting for the bus. It was five hours late. We had rats <laughs> running around hours. our feet. Wow. Um, and then the, the talk on this journey that I, I now forget how long it was, but it was about a 15-hour coach bus trip right. um, through the night with, you know, horns beeping all the time so you <laughs> can't really sleep. I saw, I saw my first dead person just lying on the side of the road. I nobody really? moved them. Um, wow. And I remember going, we, we needed the toilet at one point and we got the bus driver to stop. But literally we had to, there were, I think there were about five of us. We, we had to create kind of with um, like sari fabric, yeah, <laughs> our yeah. own sort of mini sort of tent so that each of us could have, um, go to the toilet, but just, oh. you know, on the side of the road. Um, there, there wasn't anywhere. And gradually the, the, the stories of the, of, you know, what, our number twos were like yeah. <laughs> came center center stage in, in yeah. all of our conversations. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, yeah, that's quite was, intense um, uh, introduction to traveling and being on your own and everything. Yeah, <laughs> it was a bit of a, a bit of a shock, and it was also it was a fiftieth year of independence, right? Um, for India, so there was uh, there, there were quite a lot of demonstrations happening. Uh, Jammu is a city; it's, it's on the border with Pakistan, it's very close. So mm-hmm. um, there was a you know a lot of unrest, and mm-hmm. the city itself was on red, what they called red alert at the time. So we, right. we had to be quite careful. Um, I remember going out on the eve of of Independence Day, mm. um, and we went in the, the minibus from from the school 
to somebody's house and they had said we're not going out at all like two days before they said right. we're not allowed to travel anywhere we have to stay inside the house and you know right. we had armed guards <laughs> with yeah i mean even in the mornings we'd come down because it was so uh, we stayed with the headmistress who was an amazing inspiring woman um and her husband who's lovely uh but he was chief of police for the area so he was right. quite it was actually hit him who was the one who was at, at risk to a degree right, in his position so we had it we'd be sitting there eating our breakfast and and his uh, armed guard would walk in with his AK-47 every morning. I kind of feel safe, but then you're like having breakfast with the person that people might be might trying be to get hold of. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I can't imagine that because, uh, yeah, I mean, I had a gap here, but it was just like going to Australia and New Zealand and not really doing much except, you know, probably drinking Enjoy. too much and that sort of thing but yeah that's quite intense like especially as I said for your first experience of getting out of Maiden and Cheltenham yeah <laughs> and uh yeah I mean yeah. I, so I guess what first of all like why did they send you up there because it sounds like I don't I don't really know <laughs> I think um it was I think the professor just had some good links um yeah. with this school um, up in up in Jammu and um, and I think they were really keen to have some some students there. So yeah, I guess that in a way they didn't sort of think about it in the same way as you might because they're sort of in amongst of, it all. It's yeah, just that's life. Part of their world, I, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Okay. And to be honest, once we were there, we actually we felt very I felt very safe. I, mm-hmm. I never really questioned yeah. my safety in in that respect. Yeah. Um, Although it was, you know, it, it, it felt tense at times on, on the streets and things. And we'd, we'd walk from the house down to the school that, that we were teaching in. Um, and there was a lovely culture in the school, especially for the teachers. And in the mornings, um, Esther, the, the headmistress, she, you know, we, we, we'd all go to the staff room and she'd, she would have all the newspapers and we'd have chai and, and read the papers before we started school. It was just that the, the first four pages were full of, you know, um, massacres and right. It, I mean, it, it was wow. it was quite shocking, and they don't yeah. hold back on the imagery either. The, you know, right, it's, okay. it's very clear what you know what, yeah, what's yeah, been yeah. found in these in the in the villages, and you know that that was quite shocking. Although it still felt quite distant, it was still, mm. it wasn't that far away from us mm. um, in villages on you know on the border. Mm. But um, yeah, seeing seeing that, and and also the, the what shocked me most, I think, at that point was the fact that this wasn't reported in the right. UK. We weren't hearing, mm. you know. I mean, I was there at the time, but I I know that nobody in the UK was really aware mm. that that was all still going on. Like they mm. obviously they knew about partition and and everything that happened then, but since then, there's still all of this. There's there's still a lot of. Um, a lot of it going on and it's mm. just not it's become part of every day i suppose so yeah, that we yeah. report on it the fact that it's still happening every day yeah yeah okay so how long were you out there for um so it was only summer holiday between right, okay. finishing my um my degree well, so finishing my foundation course and starting my degree so it was uh, okay. about three months uh, okay um, okay so it's wh- teaching for about six weeks right okay and then some and then some traveling but yeah by that stage, I was quite unwell. So, <laughs> oh really? Yeah. So that was I was um, whilst working in the in the school, um, I had had no idea how how much effort the, my family were going to that I was living with um, 
to make sure that the water I was drinking was clean. I, it just hadn't even really crossed my mind. I knew oh, I right, wasn't okay. meant to brush my teeth with the water. Yeah. But um, yeah, I hadn't hadn't really just hadn't thought about it. I suppose. Yeah. And yeah. The um, we had gone to a teacher's house, another teacher's house for supper, and they'd cooked us this amazing Kashmiri food. It was absolutely phenomenal but we sat on the floor and they watched us eat and as soon as your plate was almost empty they'd pile on more food and it was so spicy like they didn't hold back and that was the other thing I didn't realize that our family remember the day we were leaving and they had two gorgeous daughters um and and they were like oh great you're going that means we get proper spicy food again we were like what it's been quite spicy and they were like really? oh no <laughs> we've been making sure that we don't put too much spice in really so this meal was super hot and i just drunk all the water that i'd taken with me and ended up asking them if i could have some of their water and you know i just kind of assumed that it would be okay but within about 2 hours i was it was not well acquainted with the bathroom, um, the sink, and the toilet <laughs> at the oh. same time. Um, and then, and it stayed with me for well, certainly the duration of the of the trip. Um, and I went back and met with my friend Amy again, and, and you know we did some travelling. But wherever we went, we we tried to find doctors, um, and I, I tried a whole range of different tablets. Probably most of them were placebo, to be honest. Just. <laughs> get some money out of me um just to try and yeah stop the stop the runs and things but um but even when I came back to the UK I then had you know lots of investigations and hospital in Bristol um when I started my degree there and then and yeah I every every month um for a week a bit like menstruation I would have the runs um so like almost you know by the clock so Wow, just from that one, like... Amoebic dysentery, eventually. That, that, that one sort of uh, meal where you, where you drank the water. Yeah. Wow, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's just one of those things, like for some people, it's, you know, it, it sort of works its way out of your system within a couple of weeks, and for mm. others it's a few months, and for the lucky yeah, ones yeah. it's a couple of years. Yeah. So, yeah, I had sort of, yeah, a few years of... Of that and and then some intolerances came from that so like no red meat no bread or wheat intolerance in general and things now I'm back to normal but um but yeah for for about five years I had to be yeah careful about what I ate okay wow okay so back in the UK then you you went to Bristol uni yeah so I went to well a university of the west of England UE um and studied fine arts okay there but cool. I was, yeah, having this sort of constant reminder every month, like very physical <laughs> um, illness that reminded me of, you know, the situation that I'd seen in India as well. So, yeah, you know, yeah. um, not only had I physically got, been sick myself, yeah. um, but realising what an impact that must have on people's lives. Yeah. Especially girls, women and girls. Right. Um, And therefore the lack of education, working in a school, you know, very aware of, um, yeah, the gender disparity really and and how how much that affects girls and their opportunities in life. Right, okay. Um, They're the ones who who have to collect the water, you know, do those long walks to find it if it's not, you know, within easy reach. Yeah, yeah. So they don't have time to go to school. And, yeah, yeah. And when they do, it's kind of bits here and there. And then when they're older and menstruating, they won't go to school. If they're menstruating, they'll stay at home. 
Right, don't okay. have toilets in schools generally. Right. You know, not not good um, toilet provision, and and equally, you know, not not water provision either. Yeah, so. yeah. God, it's amazing what we take for granted, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that was the yeah. thing coming back from that to you know back home here and then to Bristol and having you know just like oh my god the taps everywhere and and <laughs> and and just no you know just no question as to whether that water's clean or not it's just yeah, assumed yeah. you know when we, have, water, yeah. when we do have disasters here and yeah you know people are without water or you know there's a leak and there are issues and um, with the pipes or something like that and people without water for even a day there's an absolute uproar yeah. and, you know people can't <laughs> yeah. believe it um but people yeah around the world suffer that yeah 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 and yeah when you came back we, we kind of like frustrated with anyone who was like moaning that their phone was running out of batteries or something like that yeah sort of, you know, <laughs> third world problems yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. it does make you a lot more tolerant and yeah okay grateful okay. for what we have you know yeah, just yeah. how lucky are we to have been born here in a in such a developed country yeah. um you know to get into good families and where education is is a given yeah yeah and yeah safe water runs out of multiple taps in your house it's, yeah yeah you know, we're it's crazy, so lucky it? and some people just don't have that and just not that i not think it's uh yeah i mean it's a it's a good thing i think to feel that gratitude for anything like that isn't it you know just like clean water or you know to, to just get a glass of water and look at it and go wow i've got a glass of clean water because i think it just i don't know I'm not sure how to if i'm using the right words but it just kind of What's the word I'm looking for? It's just good for you, I think, to, to feel gratitude, isn't yeah. it? Because if you're feeling gratitude, you you can't feel all the sort of negative emotions and things. So, like, to be able to feel that for a glass of clean water, yeah, it's kind of so a, a blessing, a way, really, isn't it? Uh, in a way. But yeah. um, okay, so what, what what's your journey then from there after? University. Oh well. Um, so I finished my degree during during that time. Actually, I, I did. Um, I found a lot of inspiration through, you know, travel and, and my time spent in India, and and therefore I worked all my term times and travelled as much as I could in in my holidays. Right. Um, and and actually, you know, I was very aware of, of water in those countries that I was traveling to. So yeah, I, I found it really interesting <laughs> to see, you know, how it how it differed, you know, what the issues were surrounding it, right. whether it was, you know, quality or quantity or, yeah. uh, you know, the, the scarceness of it in, in general, how that affected different, different communities and different continents. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, I, and I sort of self-taught photography whilst I was at whilst I was at uni and had you know all the facilities that oh, cool. wasn't really part of my degree. Yeah. Um, and I, at the end of it, I thought, right, I think I want to do photojournalism. So mm-hmm. managed to get an internship in Bolivia for a newspaper there. Um, so spent sort of September to December after I finished my degree over there. Um, you know, very interesting there. They had all the Cochabamba sort of issues around privatisation of water. Um, big right, okay. European. Um, companies, uh, water companies coming in and basically taking the water straight through these communities, not giving them access to it or charging them ridiculous amounts of money to have pipes um, from that. Right, yeah. 
So, you know, there are lots of interesting scenarios around water there that, to, to explore. Um, but anyway, did, did lots of other photography and things whilst I was there, but came back thinking, no, that's, that's, not, that's not really quite what I want to, want to do. So um, couldn't move back to Bristol, moved back in with my parents, um, back on the farm. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and, and then ended up getting a job um, with my now husband. Um, he was running a training company at the time so Uh I just sort of was helping him out a couple of days a week um, and trying to still do my artwork so I was getting you know some photographs published in magazines and things like that Um, and then ended up sort of going full-time with Tom we got together as well that was about (laughs) eight months in Um, and and then we went traveling actually we went to uh, Mali in Africa Right. And on that trip, he got sick from drinking dirty water. Right, okay. Uh, a little trick that the, the local kids used to play, um, sort of taking the water out of the bottles by a little hole in the neck and then refilling it with dirty water so they'd have the clean water. And of course, the dirty water on us, although you, you didn't look dirty, but that's part of the problem. You don't, right, okay. The quality of water is not always obvious in, in how the water looks. Okay. Um, especially from a bacterial and and viral perspective right okay um so yes he was very ill (laughs) Mm. very ill um whilst we were on that trip and and that was really when he kind of understood i had been saying you know the training stuff's interesting it's it's fine but it's not (laughs) me it's definitely not really what i want to do as a a career right and i'd been sort of talking about water and how i wanted to really do something about that having experienced it myself and seen the impact mm-hmm. um, of not having access to water just you know I promised myself that if I ever could I would do something about it yeah and, um, and that was when he kind of joined I suppose joined my mission um, <laughs> and and he said great well you know you know you've I think at the time I was quite keen on going back to uni and studying international development um, and then maybe going and working for an agency in the field um, mm-hmm. to, to have that impact. And it was Tom who, you know, quite entrepreneurial, a couple of businesses himself already was kind of like, well, hang on a minute, you know, you've been helping me run this business. You know how to run a business. Why don't you set up a business here in the UK instead? And actually, you probably have way more impact because you can bring people on that journey with you and you can leverage money um, and funds and support from people around you. And I was like, oh, actually, that makes a lot more. <laughs> that actually does make more sense. And just me individually going out and, and you know, doing it on my own. Yeah. So, so yeah. So with his support, um, I gathered others around me. So got a few other volunteers and people who had specific skills who'd be able to help. Um, and yeah, sort of came up with this idea of water for water. So mm-hmm. we were living in Bristol by mm-hmm. then, actually. we'd. Um, so I met Tom here uh, in um, Hanley Swan, he right. was where he had his business at that time. So we, we stayed um, in the area for a little bit. And then I was yeah. like, oh, whilst we're young, <laughs> still fairly young, um, maybe we could go somewhere a little bit more dynamic and then come back here when we have kids. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we did. Uh, so we went back to Bristol and noticed that everyone was walking around with bottled water and this right. was the first time I'd really noticed it. Okay. Uh, we'd also joined a gym and yeah, it was even more, I was just even more prevalent, you know, just people <laughs> with bottles walking around with, with bottles everywhere. And I just thought, oh, 
started to look into the industry a little bit because obviously water, it was linked to what I wanted to do. Yeah, so I was yeah. like, oh, maybe, maybe I could do something around this. All of the brands were like big, faceless. Most of them, even the ones that look like they're local, mm-hmm. quite often are owned by the big guys, you mm-hmm. know, the Danones, Nestle's, Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I just thought, actually, there, there isn't really a, an authentic local one. Um, and actually, this is, you've got a whole label on a bottle of water to talk about the water crisis um, and to really raise awareness of the fact that how lucky are you that you've got the choice? You've got tap water that's actually a really good quality. Mm. And there's lots of other things you can do if you don't like the taste. You can put an under sink filter on. You know, there, there are lots of things you can do to make that even that water even better. Mm. Or you can buy water that's you know mineral water or spring water. Any anywhere, yeah. <laughs> any time of day, from the supermarket, from the from the petrol station, from the shop on the corner. You know, it, yeah. it's become a bit of a convenience thing that we've kind of we're fueling, I think. Um, and and yeah, I just thought actually that there's a there's a real opportunity here to communicate to those people who are buying that water that you know this is a luxury. Mm-hmm. So why don't we use this as um, as a vehicle to to raise awareness of the global issue mm-hmm. um, and ask people to give give something back, you know, give it give something to those people who don't have that luxury, who have to walk miles every day to collect water that isn't even clean. Mm-hmm. So um, so set up as a social enterprise, not for profit, um, and and then yeah, sort of made donations from every bottle sold. I mean, I had no, I had no knowledge of that sector it's a massive <laughs> sector yeah, yeah um you know you you've got to do big volumes to make money um it's it's pretty cutthroat um but you know just i think we just got the first pallet of water i remember it arriving with the labels on and um Tom and I went to a cafe for breakfast with our with our bottles and we had them on the table and we were like, oh, so proud it's great <laughs> and then I was like oh not actually sure who's going to buy this, you know, I haven't actually spoken to anyone yet. They just assume there's a market there. Um, and actually we'd go to, we used to go to that cafe quite a lot and the waitress sort of came up and started chatting as she, as she would and um, introduced the water to her and she was like, oh my God, that's amazing. We'll have it. We'll buy it. I was like, oh, great. And then basically just spent the next sort of few months cycling around Bristol on my bike with my, right, yeah. my bottles of water samples and an A4 sheet with a kind of like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to support this community in, in India yeah. to have safe water. Um, and I just thought, you know what? It sounds really cliche, but even if we just support that community, that's that's great. That's you know, I've, yeah, I've, yeah, I've sure, made and sure. I've influenced others and leverages this money to make an impact and, and that's great and if it goes beyond that then bonus yeah so when, so when you first started out yeah that was the idea was just to do something just raise a bit of money basically by selling a few bottles yeah just see what you could do yeah I mean you know I was 25 at the time and I just don't think I had I didn't really have that um you know, didn't have a strategy, didn't yeah. really <laughs> yeah. have much of a plan. It was kind of like, it was, an, it was just an idea. And actually, you know, I think now if I'd thought about it, I'd be like, I'd be coming up with all the reasons not to do it, you know. Well, it's so many other people doing it. 
they do it better than me, I would never be able to do it like yeah, that. And yeah, I would put yeah. myself off quite quickly, I think. But part of the beauty of, of being young and just thinking, just being passionate about the concept overall yeah. was just like, do you know what? I'm just going to do it. Just, yeah. <laughs> just do it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least we will have hopefully made some impact and changed some people's minds. And, yeah. Um, yeah. It's amazing what you can do and what you can sort of get away with when you you have that sort of naivety yeah. isn't it <laughs> yeah it's definitely because like you say as you get older sometimes you sort of you think of all the reasons not to and Absolutely. maybe that's through experience but yeah sometimes it's better if you don't think of those things and you just have the sort of positive sides on yeah. your mind I suppose isn't it yeah absolutely yeah. but um okay so so you, you you got this this pallet of water <laughs> made. I'm just trying to like go back to like you know the day because yeah. you know there's a lot of a lot of things going on at that stage. I'm sure, but you got this pallet of water and you you literally didn't have any customers at that stage. No so customers. it was like right. So you, so who did who do you sort of go to to get the, the water? Where did it come from? Well, yeah, that's a that's a story in itself. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of you know. Uh, we, we looked into getting grants um, so that I could... My dad had a spring on, on the farm um, mm. and he was all up for, you know, using that and, and bottling there and doing it all by hand. And I was going to get some grants for, um, you know, for the bottling machinery and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I looked into it and I was like, yeah, you know, I could bottle about, you know, 2,000 bottles a day or something. That's like one <laughs> pallet. And obviously, if you want to do the volume which you need yeah. to do in order to make the profit, yeah. that's, just not, that's just not sustainable. It's just right, not practical. Okay. So yeah. um, actually, in the end, decided to outsource that part of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because that wasn't... I suppose to have a little bit of a strategy. It was kind of like that wasn't necessarily <laughs> going to be the only product. So it's going to be like right. water-related products and things. Okay. Um, and actually, instead, it, it developed in a totally different direction. I'm sure we'll come on to. But um, yeah, so it was... So we decided to, to outsource that bit to somebody who already had everything set mm-hmm. up. So we were paying, effectively paying by the by the bottle to to have it branded, white labelled um, mm-hmm. with our own with our own brand. Um, that was a that was an experience. So uh, <laughs> researching all the different springs around the country, going to see them, you'd be shocked at some of them. Really, what in well, terms of cleanliness? And- yeah, I just think in in your mind when you're buying spring water mineral water you know you you kind of expect it to be in some beautiful rolling countryside <laughs> surrounded by green fields that is not always the case um we saw some that were downhill from a motorway um <laughs> and one that's pretty much on you know in the suburbs of a city right yeah um you know just just not what you would envisage i guess you just need a big deep hole don't you <laughs> <laughs> well that's doesn't the thing, matter what's see. at the top of the hole well, you see, you, so you can do that um so there are lots of different types of springs okay. well. that's yeah. quite a complex thing when you start looking into it i discovered yeah. um but you, you can just you know f- find find water and drill a, do- a borehole in and suck that water out okay? yeah but that is again that's it's not really a sustainable solution. Yeah, um, yeah. And at this point, obviously, that I wasn't really thinking about that. I was thinking more about the, you know, overall environmentally, just wanting it to be, you know, bottled water is a contentious product in mm. itself, although we were doing, coming at it from a different perspective and also actually trying to change people's 
minds and behaviors around this we you know we were talking about to people about reusing and refilling way before that mm -hmm. has you know become a norm mm. um and and yeah the you know the the quality of the water was important but what i wanted was to make sure that that spring was a sustainable spring we weren't okay. deteriorating the surrounding countryside gotcha, yeah. so this spring that we ended up finding was um down in in north devon considering i was living in bristol at the time so that yeah. wasn't that wasn't far that was, that was pretty local yeah. um and it's on a farm it is surrounded by beautiful rolling fields it's absolutely <laughs> beautiful and they were getting 80 percent of their power from solar right okay. um and wind power so you know you know sustainable spring from that perspective um, and it was an artesian spring. So the water bubbles to the surface on its own. They haven't dug uh, okay. all holes in. They're not sucking it, you know, water out. Right, okay, gotcha. Um, and they're, you know, constant check on the flow of the water and things like that. So mm -hmm. they know that it's it's a sustainable it's source. It's supposed to be there. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not deteriorating from, from the, right, okay. the landscape around. Um, but even, you know, that being a woman and being young mm -hmm. <laughs> i think i probably looked a bit younger than i was as well right, I was okay. 25 at the time but you know that that was interesting because it's a very masculine world you know in in the spring world you, you might have women doing the marketing and maybe in on the admin roles mm -hmm. um but but you know not from the perspective of who'd be having these conversations about um you know business deals and and um contracts and stuff so right okay quite a few times i remember arriving at the this this one spring and this chap coming out to meet me and saying all right love so um where's your father um yeah, uh, yeah i had quite a lot of responses like that um which was you know another another challenge to get yeah, over was actually yeah, yeah. you know standing tall remembering that actually yeah I, I can do this i don't be put down by these men who yeah, have yeah. Their, um yeah Beliefs preconceived it, yeah. ideas yeah, yeah yeah okay all right so you got that first pallet then <laughs> and like you yeah. said you've got to go and sell it and uh, to, to start this business off and I, I guess the, the sort of basic idea then like you said was you sell a bottle of water and you donate part of the profit or all the profit I don't know to yeah to the charity or, or yeah so yeah well when we started that was the thing we weren't a charity yeah. so we were we were raising the funds and then we were donating it trying to donate it to india now that i hadn't really thought that bit through <laughs> financially <laughs> so we found a partner in in india to work with right. um and and at the time um yeah, we we were we were just a social enterprise, and there were no tax breaks for social enterprises. There were no, you know, there were no, it's not actually much benefit financially right. to being a, a social enterprise. Obviously, it's it's about the, the social and environmental impact is is where it kicks in. But um, yeah, so and actually to to donate funds outside of the UK, you get charged, you, you get taxed on that donation. Okay, right. Um, so it's not really a donation. You, you'd be taxed on that on that transfer, that money transfer. Okay. So I was having to go through a third party, um, which then obviously incurred their overhead yeah. costs and stuff. So we, I was kind of forced to set up set up the charity side, and that's something that I never really, I'd not really thought about in much detail. But I just knew that I wanted to run a business where people were buying a product that they were going to be buying it anyway. So mm -hmm. they, you know, they were thirsty. They were going to the shelf. Um, they were going to buy something and actually interestingly here you know bottled water yes i know you can get bottled water out of the tap but when you're out and about and you haven't got 
access to it if you haven't got a refill point nearby um, of all the drinks on the shelf water is the most sustainable of all of those drinks mm. orange juice do you know mm. how much water it make, takes to make <laughs> one bottle of of orange juice and how far those oranges have traveled right, and yeah, all of that yeah. stuff you know water is far more sustainable um coffee won't even go there yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tea, yeah. you know far worse so um yeah it makes sense actually i'd never thought about it no uh, you don't like there's this sort of because just, people just go oh you can get out of the tap but yeah. actually yeah well they're drinking a bottle of uh, you know, lemonade or something that's yeah, had absolutely. lemons and all these yeah. weird things put into well, it. Well, and, and sugar. sugar. This is the difference. That water is yeah. the healthiest option on that yeah, shelf yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, don't, people just don't really talk about that. All those other yeah. things have got sugar, aspartame, you know. Yeah, a lot of Caffeine, bad. whatever. Yeah, it, yeah. You know. um, yeah, so it was about um, that. Lost track where I was. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I interrupted you, that's why. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you. Um, you were saying that, you know, it's the most sustainable. We were saying about the profits going to the charity. Yeah. How you set yeah. up the charity at yeah, that stage. So, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so so really had, you know, was kind of forced in it really to, to set up a charity, um, but always wanted it to be, I wanted it to be a business. I like the idea of yeah, somebody buying a product they were going to buy anyway. Yeah. Um, but, oh, how brilliant. A bit of a, you know, the profit's not going into a fat cat's pocket, um, <laughs> fueling that big Nestle and Danone business. But it's actually, <laughs> it's going to people who who don't have the privilege that we have of yeah, yeah. safe water. Um, so when, when the charity bit came along, it's like, oh, okay, well, we'll, li- we'll literally just be the vehicle for, donating the funds from the social enterprise um, mm-hmm. to the people who who the money's destined for basically mm-hmm. um, but actually within a couple of months of setting that up one thing that we did so you know going back to the sales side of things I literally you would cycle around Bristol then eventually I got a van um, and I would do my deliveries all around Bristol on a Monday and a Wednesday and then I'd go to Bath on a Thursday and you know, I had my little roots and then on a Tuesday and Friday I'd do my invoicing yeah. um, and ordering and all that sort of stuff and um, aside from sort of like selling to shops and cafes all kind of like independent outlets what we realized was um, actually we could we could sell directly um, to our customers mm-hmm. rather than via another outlet from festivals so we started to do festivals and that was a great way to get volunteers involved as well and create you know sort of build the community around Mm -hmm. the brand um so we did lots of festivals and we found that actually people were coming to us saying you know i totally get what you're doing um but i'm not a bottled water drinker you know i always refill right okay can i give you can i just write you a check can i give you some money um to to, you know to do that amazing program work that you're doing in india and it was kind of like oh well actually you know unless we're a charity it doesn't doesn't really make sense because you can't get the gift aid and yeah, yeah. actually we'll end up being taxed on it rather than <laughs> so th- so that was another reason for for doing the the charity side of things right. and okay. and that really just grew so we had more and more people sort of saying oh you know what you're doing over there is actually really interesting you're not you know you're not just sending your money and digging bore wells and putting hand pumps in the work you're doing in india is really interesting can i can we just fund that? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay, this, this, is, this is really good. And, and also we got approached by um, H&M, so big fashion brand, who were looking to do more work in, in India, where obviously they source quite a lot of their 
their clothing from. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of CSR work in country around water. And they were really keen to fund us. So there, there were kind of there were lots of these opportunities coming to us and other corporates and, and trusts and foundations who were interested in, in the work itself. Right. Um, just just through word of mouth and yeah yeah, yeah literally okay. <laughs> um, so so that sort of that developed more and then we had an av- adventure company who were doing these amazing um, called the Adventurist based in Bristol as well and we actually shared an office with them so we worked out this sort of um, social enterprise hub right uh, kind of hot desking type. scenario where you could just have like one desk and lots of other people and and actually even today like a lot of our quite a a number of our funders are from those days Mm -hmm. you know right back in the early days of Frank Water who were you know similar founders starting their businesses at the same time yeah um as me and and you know kind of shared that that journey I suppose oh brilliant um so yeah so we had you know more and more people wanting to donate to us as Mm -hmm. a charity rather than you know via the product Mm-hmm. So that's when I suppose my um, focus switched because that's that's a very different prospect. Um, you've got to be a slightly, I almost hesitate to say a different person, but you, you know <laughs> you, your head, you, the mindset's different. I think. Yeah. Right. Um, and whereas before I was creating, you know, ultimately people were buying the product. They were they they were going to that shelf and and they were they were thirsty. They were choosing Frank, which is amazing and and we were able to donate that profit to programs that would that was that were doing great things mm-hmm. now people were saying you know I've, I've worked really hard i've got some money that i want to give away and i've chosen to give that to you because i believe your program work is impactful right okay. um and that that's very different big responsibility scenario. i suppose in a way yeah. isn't it so for me, I was like, oh my gosh, now I've got to make, I've, now I really have to make sure that that program work is as effective as it can be and, mm. you know, really is having the impact I intend it to have. Yeah. Um, and keeping that, um, uh, the, the sort of the distance between me and the, the donor and and the end impact as small as possible. Right. You okay. know, not passing through lots of hands to get to the the person sure, who needs yeah, it, yeah. Um, keeping that nice and short, so we've got really clear impacts. So we've got really, you know, close relationships with mm. with uh, the communities that we're actually supporting the individuals. Mm-hmm. Got you. Okay. So, um, how's it grown then since then? Um, you know, what what have the the two sides done? Like the, the charity and the water. What's the? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's suppose from a water perspective, the, the social enterprise side um, that's developed. And we've got a few sort of different methods of delivery, I would say. Right. Um, so it's still, you know, very much about water and drinking water. But we've um, actually, it was it was really through working at festivals. You're working in this environment that's, um, you know, kind of a, a world in itself. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a fence around the outside. And mm-hmm. The majority of festivals that we did were kind of like four days camping, you know, yeah. for long sort of camping uh, festivals where you were you were there for the four days, so you you could bring a certain amount of stuff with you, but generally you know you, you lived in in that arena in that in that site, um, and it was it was only in the evenings once they'd kind of cleared the arena and people had gone out to their their tents that you'd see the waste right okay. that was left from the day, and you know um, that then that's when all the litter pickers would come out and you know. Right. <laughs> All the volunteers who, who did all the litter picking, and, and you'd, you'd start to notice, and you'd think, oh "My God, that's a that's a frag water bottle." 
shit. You know, that's, that's just not, I don't want to see that. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They're recyclable. They should be being recycled. It's not that simple. You know, it's, it's a really complex place. But um, actually seeing that waste was, was pretty hard mm. um, to take, actually. And that this was, you know, um, the sort of the recycling and the environmental message, you know, wasn't wasn't particularly strong. When I started Frank Water, the, it was kind of make poverty history and you know, much mm-hmm. more about the sort of the social side rather than the, envi- than the environmental. Mm-hmm. And it's been sort of driven over that time. But um, that was when I started to think, well, in this situation at festivals, especially, we could we could change that round and we could offer refills and you know encourage people support people through that journey to behavior change of you know refilling and relying less on um on that convenience Mm -hmm. you know and and being a bit more taking a bit more responsibility ourselves to be prepared and you know well you know i might be thirsty in the day so i'm not gonna just go out and when i'm thirsty then decide oh i'm gonna go into a shop and buy a bottle of water or coke or coffee but actually think ahead and and take that you know get yourself a really nice refill bottle that you're proud to have and hold and and fill that in the morning and wherever you are at lunchtime refill it then and you know just build that that sort of refilling culture back into people's lives Mm -hmm. um and actually we started with a with a campaign in bristol called turn me on um and this was because in bristol there are an amazing um network of beautiful um fountains water fountains right okay um and we started to notice them and i had a you know had lots of ideas about kind of refurbishing them and restoring them we were in conversation with the local with the bristol council and with the water companies about you know can can we do this is it possible but there was so much there was so much resistance (laughs) you know it's kind of like well who's going to look after them if we restore them and you know a lot of them have got um, you know the pipes are bad, and we should be digging up streets, and and then who's going to keep them sanitised, and people can still violate them and stuff, and you know uh, there was so much sort of like ooh 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 between the council <laughs> and the water companies and stuff, and it just seemed like you know we it was a bit of a, a lost cause. This was sort of 2010, right? Yeah, um, and we weren't really we're not really campaigning organisation. Mm. Um, we didn't have funding to campaign and spend our time talking to councils and water mm. companies about, you know, why aren't you providing <laughs> this public service? Yeah. Um, and so decided to take that back into our own hands and do it at festivals where right, you know, okay. we were in control of that situation. We could speak with the just with the festivals who are actually, you know, it costs them to get rid of plastic. They have to they have to pay somebody yeah, to come yeah. and take that plastic away. Um, then they also need a big volunteer crew to pick it up. It looks a mess. It's not great for anybody. It's not good for the environment. So actually, it was a kind of a win-win, really. So started to develop this sort of uh, a system by which we could use the water on site. So we don't bring water on. We use whatever water's on site. So festivals have to, by law, provide drinking water anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them are just providing a, a standpipe or even, you know, just a... Um, a tap mm-hmm. but there's no soak away so it all gets really muddy around it yeah, no one yeah, trusts yeah. the 
Yeah. No one trusts the tap because who knows who's <laughs> yeah. put their mouth over the end or been sick next to it or, you know, yeah, who, yeah, know yeah. who knows what's been happening with it, especially now in the COVID world. Um, so, you know, it, there was an opportunity to really make that into an experience. Mm-hmm. You know, come to a, a lovely stand with lovely, passionate people, um, have your bottle refilled and, you know, ha- have a chat about global water and understand right, that a bit okay, more. Yeah. Um, and, 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 it was most in most cases it was a buy-in system so people kind of bought into the idea they paid for access to free water for the rest of the weekend you know as many refills as they wanted right okay. free water um for, for the for the duration of the festival so uh, okay that's clever okay. um you could either buy a <laughs> bottle one of our bottles or we have got a really high quality stainless steel um bottles uh, we also do a, a a plastic one as well mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, recycled and that's you know and, and just encouraging people the water we were f- filtering it and chilling it so value added it's mm-hmm. it's not just sight water it's yeah, better yeah. than that <laughs> um and and it's just a lovely experience so we, yeah, we yeah. found more and more people were were starting to kind of come on board with that idea and obviously since okay, then yeah. um it's come a long way that's great the, the general sort of <laughs> refill refill yeah, for good yeah. idea yeah okay all right so that's the water side of things i suppose yeah, and obviously yeah. we, we still do water we 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 did a kind of a um a full stop on on selling plastic water mm-hmm. and plastic and and um we were already supplying it in glass we continued supplying it in glass so glass is better mm-hmm. than plastic it is it's really quite complicated when you start to look into it or we we also looked at um we looked at various different types of packaging from mm-hmm. you know tetra tetra pack to cardboard to um aluminium cans and you know again lo- lots of these packaging uh, they've actually come quite a long way just in the last three mm. to five years with so much pressure um yeah. from, from an environmental perspective they they're all getting better yeah. um but still it's it it is all a very complicated area to look into yeah, it's quite hard to get sure. that full life cycle data on mm-hmm. any of them as well like the real impact um and a lot of them depends obviously how far you're transporting um, yeah. from the perspective of the weight that's one of the issues that we have with glass yeah um, yeah but glass is infinitely recyclable and it does get recycled and it gets recycled in the uk absolutely guaranteed yeah there is obviously yeah. plastic no one's really quite sure who knows <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm just thinking about yeah, all those complex issues, like you're saying, because, yeah, it's sort of you adjust one thing and it changes something else and in multiple different ways, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, so and many externalities that yeah. it's obviously, yeah, quite quite hard to be aware of them all. Yeah, okay. Um, so where are you, like, today and what's the plan sort of moving forwards? Yeah, so we do, we still do all of that. So we've got a full season festivals booking up now for for next summer which is great because obviously we've had two years of covid Um, that side of the business has been hit quite hard in covid obviously we supply a lot of independent restaurants and cafes which all Mm. shut over over the 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 lockdowns and things so Mm -hmm. that that was pretty tough but at the same time we outsource everything so it didn't Mm -hmm. affect us as much Mm -hmm. as it would have if if we were bottling ourselves um and yeah, so festivals are back up, which is great. So we'll have a full opportunity for volunteers. If anybody wants to come and can help us refill at festivals over the summer. Yeah. Um, and we also do, um, we, we work with an, another organisation doing um, 
kind of um, water coolers, mains fed, plumbed in coolers and things like that for businesses as well. So that's, right, that okay. um, supports our work. Um, so yeah, so that's all sort of growing back up again, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. The next couple of uh, years will be a bit of a, a recovery for, for that side of the business. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, the charities, you know, that that's kind of taken over really in a way we've got, you know, more staff with it on, on the charitable side of the business um, than on than on the social enterprise okay, side. Okay, cool, cool. So lots of it's, uh, yeah, it's so interesting. And all this from, you know, little old me then down the road. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> yeah. cool, isn't it? And yeah. uh, so one thing I am trying to get better at is asking people with MBEs about the story of their MBE because <laughs> I forgot with them when Emma came on. <laughs> I mentioned it in the intro and then just didn't, didn't talk about it. So, so um, yeah, what's, what's the yeah. story with that? Well, um, it's one of those things you don't really know, actually. You just receive okay. a letter in the post right. um, saying that you've been, um, that, that you, you've been nominated for one and, and will you accept? Um, and it's quite a closed sort of book. You know, you don't, don't really get to know oh, right. um, okay. the, the sort of the, the, the detail of it. Okay. Um, but so that was for services to international development. Right, okay. Um, cool. So for the sort of the, the charity side and the, um, the development work that, we, that we've done over the last 16 years. Oh, well, well done. Congratulations. Thank you. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, yeah, we're just coming up for an hour. Would you believe it? Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. It's been uh, been very interesting and uh, hearing the, the whole story. And yeah, I think that <laughs> something about that, that, like we were saying about that, you know, when you're young, that naivety of, of just doing something, which I think we need to try and kind of maintain, don't we, as we yeah, get yeah. a little bit older, because we're all getting a little bit older. You know, keep playful and naturally yeah but yeah that is, that, is that the tip as you think keep keep playful and uh, don't sort of uh, I don't know yeah how do you maintain naivety <laughs> it's, very, it's very hard because also you're kind of as you get older you're trained to you know research things and really you know really research that before you think yeah, about it yeah, yeah. before you make those decisions um, and and so it's quite hard to actually say well actually maybe I maybe I won't maybe I'll just yeah go with that but then you could be accused of being naive yeah <laughs> Later I mean, not yeah I suppose but then if you've got a passion for something that just pushes through doesn't it like that sort of yeah you work things out as you go don't you? which i guess is what you know what you did with all the different elements yeah you just sort of you, you just want to do it and you do it don't you? <laughs> yeah and you find a way through you, f- you find yeah. a way through those those challenges as, as they come up uh, and i think certainly from um you know, from a charitable perspective as well, we're we're really uh, into collaboration, um, mm. and we collaborate a lot with other organisations. So whether that's our funders who have specific skills that they can bring to the to the party, or you know, with our with our partners in country, um, and you know, with, with yeah, with anyone and everyone, universities. We work quite a lot with the universities, um, and I think that's another really important thing is kind of not just doing it on your own because you want that success or you know you want to achieve it and be able to say it was you who did it yeah, um, you yeah. know going back to the you know the MBA and everything you know or the MBE even <laughs> both um <laughs> you know that that that's a team effort it might be one yeah. only one person can kind of be recognized for it but would never have been able to 
achieve what we've achieved without having a team around me and and not just them but you know the funders who believed in us in those especially in those early days um who who just saw the vision that we had and and wanted to be part of that um and i think that's you know sometimes we're we're too narrow in our sort of you know keeping it to ourselves and actually the, the more you can open up and let other people in and share that journey and share that experience yeah, um, yeah. the greater your impact will be and you know that mm. we've learned so much from our, the communities that we work with um, mm. we've developed a, a, a tool for looking at water balance within within um, a watershed and this is something that now we're hoping that you know big agencies will take up we've got you know other big uh, chari- water charities um, who are interested in using this because there isn't a best practice approach to, to what we do, that integrated right. water resource management work. Um, but we've learned so much from the communities. We could never have done that on our own and said, yeah, this is a frank water thing. We've, mm. we've developed it with our local partners, with the communities, with funders. It's a, you know, it's very much a collaborative project. Mm. We might have driven it, might be yeah, our yeah. concept, but we would never have got there without everybody else and everybody else's skill and knowledge. And, mm, nice, yeah. yeah. That rising tide principle, yeah. which I suppose is applicable. <laughs> cool. Okay, so yeah, frankwater.com to find out you know what you're doing and, and yeah. volunteer maybe for yeah, some of the festivals and things. Yeah, definitely lots of opportunities to volunteer. We've also got uh, World Water Day, 22nd of March. Okay, So it's a cool. big, that's our kind of big day. So it's kind of a UN-recognised okay. day. Um, and the theme okay. this year is groundwater and making okay. the invisible visible. So um, we all think of water, you know, it's, it's we don't see it. Where does it come from? How yeah, does it get yeah, to yeah. your tap? <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, groundwater is absolutely critical to survival of our planet ultimately yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and it has, it's hit really um, hard from a from a climate crisis perspective as well so we need to be aware of it we need to know that it exists and look after it mm. we need to value it and look after it um, mm-hmm. so our, we'll be running an appeal from the 17th to the 24th of March okay cool um, for, so people can get on board with that yeah excellent and then connect with you on LinkedIn follow you on Instagram Facebook and Twitter yeah excellent Well, thank you very much, Katie. Cool. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate your time. (laughs) You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.